Podcast. My name is Owen. Today is Sunday, October 17th, and I'm joined, as I always am, by my neighbor Max. How's it going, my friend? It's going well. I've developed a new Sunday habit, uh, going and hanging out with some friends of mine who have been part of the McGill Formula Electric F1 team, where they build an electric race car and then go into a North American competition with it. Uh, cool. My roommates in undergrad were on this team and now my friends are all kind of mostly done with it but there's like a design review they do where they look at the current team's design schematics and criticize it and try and improve it uh so the past couple of sundays i've gone over to one of the members house and they just have like a ton of beers sit there and like watch the new engineers like sweat and present these designs and uh, i think since podcasting, I don't know about you, but I've definitely become a much, much more aware of my speech, what words I use, how often I um, and listening to these people present was so hilariously brutal. It was a pretty nice afternoon. Awesome. Yeah, that's definitely I, something I've become aware of as well, speaking so much over the, uh, over the airwaves. Um, and also, what I have done through school as well involved a lot of presenting. It definitely helps me feel more comfortable at work when I'm trying to get my ideas across. Uh, it's nice to be able to articulate things and also be able to take large sums of information and try and get them into bite-sized pieces. However, like anything, we do go on tangents occasionally on the pod, which is more than fine as well. That's what it's here for. Yeah, and hopefully it improves those tangents as well. I imagine it's also helped you with your Frisbee coaching, which I believe came to a peak this past weekend. Yes, indeed. We were at the Canadian University Ultimate Championships in Brampton, uh, first time in two years since that had ran, and it felt so good just to be out there back having something so normal. It had been so long since I had been part of an ultimate tournament and it was a fun weekend. The weather wasn't great, but really great to be out there with the guys and, and had a pretty successful weekend in my book. We finished second place in division two, which is a 10th place finish overall in Canada with a total of 29 teams attending. So not a bad finish at all. And especially with the Western ultimate teams coming for the first time in maybe 15 years, UBC and U Victoria were there. Wow. So we can actually say that we are a top 10 team in the country with all the teams there. Uh, really fun weekend. And just like that, our season is over. <laughs> I, I, if anyone remembers me gearing up for it about six weeks ago, it's, it's done now. Crazy how time flies and perfectly sets up in time for us to launch into our two podcasts a week starting this week, now that that has cleared up a little bit for me, um, which may lead to hopefully shorter pods. It just means they're coming at you more frequently and, and looking forward to that as the NBA season gets underway this week. Yeah, and hopefully a bit more relevant. I always hate talking about stuff five, six days after it's happened. It mm -hmm. feels like we move so quickly in this internet age, but I'm glad you mentioned the NBA kicking off as that's definitely going to be the title of this pod and the main theme of it, our season preview. Uh, this will be our fourth 
season preview we've done on this pod, now having done one NBA prior and two NHL ones. If you missed it, we just did our NHL one for this coming season, last pod. Check it out. Um, But now we get to talk about the NHL season underway, which will also be featured in this, along with a brief football fan cave, uh, definitely some soccer action to talk about. Even I know that, so I know Owen's going to have something passionate to say on it and i think a bit of nfl action uh owen just squeezed in the research as we were saying up to record this but the main theme definitely the nba season preview which will come to shortly but first some football fan cavo yes sir uh not just a little bit of soccer but this may be one of the most monumental moments in canadian football history or soccer history, as we call it here. Canada with a 4-1 win over Panama. This is the men's national team. Of course, the women's national team is far and away uh, much more successful. Have to acknowledge that. Gold medal winners at the Olympics just a couple months ago. But the men's national team struggling in, in, in a deeper sport where just more countries participate at a higher level, more resources invested in men's soccer. Unfortunately, it's just the way it is. And Canada, growing its program, has a lot of young studs that I've already mentioned on previous podcasts. Of course, Alfonso Davies, Jonathan David, Kyle Laren, Tejan Buchanan, list goes on. And this 4-1 victory over Panama was gutsy. They were down 1-0, four unanswered goals, one just spectacular goal by Fonzie, uh, really showing off his pace there to pick it off a hair's width less, uh, and it would have been out of bounds, but he grabs it, goes the other way, just snipes it bottom corner, and Canada leapfrogs Panama into the third and final spot of automatic qualification to the World Cup. So if the qualifying ended right now, they would be headed to Qatar. Unfortunately, not the case. There's still seven more games left. That just finished the first round of games between. Now they play another, going to whoever's home stadium they weren't at the first time around. So there will be another Panama matchup. But Canada is one of two teams left in the qualifying round that is still undefeated, them and Mexico. It's just a lot of draws on Canada's side. They are 2-4-0. and So only two wins, but one of them huge in order to jump over Panama. They have a two-point lead over Panama, and they're right behind the U.S., Uh, with Mexico being the top dog in qualification, but they got a tie against Mexico. As I mentioned, that's a huge result. They got a tie against the U S and now they get to host some teams coming North to Edmonton where they may not like the frigid weather coming from central America, hoping that can be a bit of a home field advantage for the Canadians um, in those matchups. And I think they have a tremendous chance of making the world cup, which would be something I don't believe Canada has ever done on the men's side. So really, really exciting and could be a great momentum booster then heading to 2026 when they will co-host with Mexico and the United States. So really exciting stuff happening in in Canada soccer. And it just means the program's going to continue to grow and get more investment with that success. Yeah, that Davies goal went as viral as any soccer thing I've seen here in Canada. I'm sure the attention on those remaining seven games is going to be much higher with that moment having taken place and hopefully we can fuel them to the world cup. 
Also, a great thing about that game was Sportsnet actually offered it for free to anyone who wanted to watch it, which is fantastic. It's just national pride. Also, great strategy by them to offer the free Canada game when the Leafs were happening that night and other things going on. So people just incentivized to pay the 20 bucks a month or whatever to get those extra sports straight into their TV as well. Uh, so I had to point that that little piece out. So we'll move on to the next portion of the football fan cave here. NFL quick recap. I honestly did not catch anything today being at the tournament, but from what I was able to gather on my phone, a couple of interesting results. I just wanted to mention briefly. Uh, first of all, Zach Ertz, the tight end of the Philadelphia Eagles was traded to the Arizona Cardinals, adding another elite weapon for Kyler Murray to utilize. And the Arizona Cardinals came out and blew out the Cleveland Browns here when a lot of the uh, money and a lot of the interest had favored the Browns to come and give the Cardinals their first loss of the season, not to be Cardinals stay undefeated uh, with a big win and they're just going to keep on rolling. And, and the Browns, it's a really tough loss for them now, three and three on the season. I think they're better than their record suggests, but really tough games. Unfortunately, they have my Denver Broncos next, which may be a bit of a slap fest on Thursday. Not looking forward to that, uh, but a game for them to certainly get back on track. Dallas, uh, my girlfriend mentioned after a slow start in the first half and some costly turnovers near the end zone, they come back and they beat New England in overtime. Uh, a huge win for Dallas to now be five and one on the season and a must win game for them to keep pace for the top spot in the NFC chasing the Cardinals and for New England that's soul crushing because this one puts them further out of the playoff picture and it will be tough for them to claw their way back in and then the final game this was my marquee matchup from last week Baltimore and the Los Angeles Chargers everyone excited to see these two teams in a tape measure game for the top of the AFC and Baltimore went in there and blew up LA. It was not even close. Bully ball from Baltimore on both sides. LA scored six points in this game, which is unheard of with Justin Herbert lighting everyone up so far this season. A fantastic game plan from the Ravens and then just move the ball really effectively scoring 34 of their own. So really disappointing performance from the Chargers, but kind of reminds us of the LA Chargers of old, always seeming to drop important games in just brutal fashion. And this one is no different. Looking forward to tonight's game of Seattle and Pittsburgh getting underway as we speak. Geno Smith versus Ben Roethlisberger. Not the most exciting quarterback matchup, but two really good teams uh, built around the quarterbacks. So we'll be interesting to see there. And then of course the Buffalo bills and the Tennessee Titans going tomorrow. The last time these two teams played was on a Tuesday, which is not common for the NFL, but it was due to COVID pushing the Titans games around and the Titans blew out the bills. So they'll definitely be looking for revenge this year as they continue to take a stranglehold on the top seed in the AFC. Besides that quite a few blowouts, if you were on favorites this week in terms of betting, you did quite well for yourself. And in terms of fantasy, 
didn't take a look at everyone. I just know based on my matchup this week, I got killed by Cooper Cup, and he's been having a fantastic fantasy season overall. Another 34 points today to add to his collection. Matthew Stafford throwing for four touchdowns total as the Rams killed the Giants. And if you have Cooper Cup, you should be near the top of your fantasy league right now as it sits. Looking forward to next week, uh, we have the Chicago Bears and Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and then the New Orleans Saints and Seattle Seahawks are kind of my marquee matchups. Nothing too exciting really stood out. Um, There's probably a better game in there somewhere, uh, but as the buys are happening now, teams are switching out, and it's this just another week for the picture to become clearer on who the top teams are in the league and who the bottom teams are. Uh, so looking forward for those ones next week, and hopefully I'll be able to catch a lot more of it now with no other commitments over the weekend. That's going to do it for our football fan cave. Max, I will leave it up to you to guide us to our next destination. Thank you for that. All right. I will get into basketball storylines now where we will make our very difficult, troubling, and almost certainly wrong picks for the top 10 teams in each division, along with the awards for MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, Rookie of the Year, uh, Sixth Man, and Coach. Before we get into that, um, quick update on the Ben Simmons and Philadelphia 76ers situation. He is now with the team, been to practice, uh, his NBA debut, though, unclear if he'll be ready for their first game on the season. I don't know if you have anything to add to that, though. All right. We'll get right into it then. Uh, I like to talk methodology a little (laughs) before going in always. Um, And after last season, I think depth is going to be really important. Um, I think a lot of teams did a lot worse than they could have, if not for injury. You look at the Lakers and the struggles with LeBron and Anthony Davis. You look at the Nets, who only had Kevin Durant playing in the playoffs. You look at Kawhi Leonard. You look at teams like the Nuggets, who didn't have Jamal Murray to start the playoffs and are still going to be missing him. Um, and the list goes on, really, but those the ones that jumped to the top of my mind. So I, I'm expecting coaches to be pretty hesitant to give their players too many minutes, uh, even if it gives them a great regular season, just the strain that much greater and a playoff injury that much more likely because of it. So... I did try and go for the teams that I think were deeper that could have one of their best players get injured and still do reasonably well. Uh, But I did also try and factor in a little which players had better chances at Iron Manning. One other note before we get into this, I, I think the top five, six of the West still above the East, but I think the East is going to be more competitive in the deeper ends. Like I found around pick six, seven for the West, like I was struggling to slot my last couple teams in where I had to make some really tough decisions on the East. Like there were 12 teams I was pretty strongly considering and cutting two of them was tough and is I've been doubting myself all day over it and will continue to doubt myself and I'm sure I'll be wrong. 
that's all I've got. I don't know if you've got anything to add before we get into this. I feel similarly about the East. I would say the West is still probably the stronger division, like you mentioned, but the East, even if it's not stronger in terms of East versus West, just has a deeper conference. Um, Because I think besides Orlando and probably Detroit, anyone else there, if you could slot in through 7 through 12, really, um, or 7 through 13, pardon me. So in that regard, I agree. Uh, The other thing for me is, is I did a lot of my projections based on similar to last year. If you listen to our last year's preview, um, I took a lot of my data from 538's projections on their website and then added a little bit of my own, of course, intuition and based a lot of things on how I see the season going with playtime, right? So similar to depth, but almost less about depth and more about resting your top end. As, as it affects uh, team's performance. And, and that's kind of where I went with that. Would you like to start in the East or the West? I think we'll go with the West. We've kind of set the stage for the East to be a little more interesting. So we'll build up towards that. Uh, let's get right into it. I, I went kind of, I, I don't know how to say it, but the best team in the West, the team left standing longest in the playoffs. I've got the Phoenix Suns at my number one spot for the West. Um, I think they have the depth I talked about, um, guys like Cameron Johnson, Campaign, um, really awesome players to have coming off the bench who can create their own offense and guys who will be able to slot in if you see an injury to Chris Paul. Uh, Devin Booker, I think, going to have a massive chip on his shoulder after last year's playoffs and have a little more of that Mambo mentality. And DeAndre Ayton, I think, really started to come into his own that playoffs as well. And I think this regular season will be an excellent opportunity for him to continue polishing all the excellent traditional big man work he did. And that kind of leaves Chris Paul as an afterthought, which is a pretty good place for him to be in and provide that extra boost. So I felt pretty confident going with the Suns as number one. Yeah, I also have the Phoenix Suns number one. 538 gives them a 95% chance to make the playoffs and an 18% chance to make the NBA Finals, uh, which is the third highest total, tied for the third highest total out of any teams in the league. So they definitely are high on the Phoenix Suns there. Uh, like you said, it's it, they way ahead of schedule and where they thought they'd be last year with the success that they had. And now that's a team that knows they've been there. So they're going to come into this season with the hunger, knowing that they were so close and they missed out and they know they have playoff success and they're going to be really successful during the regular season with how they are able to defend and how Chris Paul just gets you wins on a night to night basis with the small things that he does and how he controls the game, how he dictates every aspect of the game. I think a big move that they had was JaVale McGee to really shore up that backup center spot. They just didn't have one last year behind DeAndre Ayton and was a big reason why Giannis just annihilated them in that final series. So they have plugged that hole and they have a pretty solid 10 that they can roll with. 
And I wouldn't be surprised if, if they tooled a little bit more and added a bio guy or two uh, guys want to play with this team and just another year of them playing together with solid continuity. And I love Monty Williams as a head coach. And I think they're going to be uh, very successful and, and number one on the top there. My second team in the West is the Utah Jazz, who were the number one team last year. Uh, 538 has them with the highest percent chance in the Western Conference to make the playoffs 96%, a 17% chance to make the NBA Finals. Really high team score. Again, super uh, in terms of continuity with your seven guys that you have locked in there, right? Ingles, Bogdanovich, Gobert, Mitchell, Conley, Clarkson, and then O'Neal. That's your seven. What do they have beyond that? Rudy Gay, Hassan Whiteside, Eric Pascal, Jared Butler, Oni. Who out of those guys is going to be that eighth player, that next piece to help ascend this team? And I think the success, we know they're going to be great in the regular season with Rudy Gobert as a stopper, but their success this season and their measuring stick for fans to take them seriously is are they going to be able to show us that they can be successful in a small ball situation? Yeah, that's, I also have the jazz at number two. I really did struggle with considering dropping them lower after the Clippers put out a pretty convincing diagram on how to effectively eliminate Gobert as a ball stopper. But the depth you referenced right there, I think will just give them the firepower to keep up with teams who try that. And I, I do think we'll see less of it in the regular season. Uh, just that's how the basketball is often played. And yeah, it, it the white side signing really did confuse me because <laughs> having mentioned those issues with Gobert, the white side, very similar in build and ability to Gobert. Uh, Maybe we see Gay tried in at the five. I'm not sure. But for the regular season, yeah, I've got the Jazz at number two for mostly the depth you mentioned. And the shooting is yes. ridiculous. Yes, all those guys are so spot on. Number three. I have the Denver Nuggets. Wow, so do I. Three for three, baby. Uh, the reigning MVP. Nikola Jokic, Michael Porter Jr. on a new deal. Will Barton uh, in there as well. Aaron Gordon re-signed to his extension. And then Jamal Murray eventually coming back to fill the void. They may struggle with a lack of, of guard depth. Austin Rivers, Fakundu Campazzo are in there. Not my favorite too, and that showed in the playoffs last year when they struggled. But I love the pickups of Jeff and Jamichael Greens on that team to add more depth at the forward position. And I think this is the year that they have to unleash Bull Bull. <laughs> He's just so fun to watch, and he always manages to put up stats. And they're going to have to find a way to incorporate him. If they were able to play him and Jokic on the court at the same time, that would be really fun. But again, Nikola Jokic is going to just elevate the ceiling of this team and they're going to have a ton of regular season success 
And then it's a dark horse team in the playoffs. If Jamal Murray comes back and plays like he did in the bubble and Aaron Gordon can be that wing stopper and Will Barton can be, be a complimentary piece, I'm excited for what this team can achieve come playoff time. 100%. And maybe the best suited team with a player like Jokic to deal with struggles at guard depth as you really can run the offense through him. And that gives you the ability to really size up your defense. And as long as they have the mobility, I think that could make for a really interesting early regular season from them. Yeah, number three for the Nuggets for me as well. Number four, I have the Dallas Mavericks. Boy. (laughs) We're cooking right now. Wow. Uh, this is a team that I overrated last year and I'm worried I'm overrating them again. This is a prove it year now for Luca. He's had the two years where kind of like LeBron, you get let off the hook a little bit. Oh, he's young. He doesn't have much around him. He's still learning how to figure it out, but Luca truly dominates every aspect on the floor offensively. I need to see a little bit more of him defensively, but the Mavericks need to make a step. Otherwise there are going to be narratives that, he can't succeed in the NBA beyond just putting up a ton of stats and losing in the first round. So it's going to be an important year for him to show. And I just don't know if he's taken on that Giannis or LeBron or Kevin Durant mentality where they just get in the gym endlessly. Uh, And once he reaches that point, like Jokic did it last year, that's when we'll really see Luca take it to another level. Obviously excited to watch him do it this year, though. Porzingis is going to get offensive increase, according to Jason Kidd. Some more post touches. I thought it was an interesting mention on a podcast that I was listening to where it's important to get Porzingis touches on offense, not because it's efficient or he, he may not do that well in those situations. And we've complained about his inability to score against smaller defenders but at least gets him into the flow of the game and knows that he's being relied on to play offensively, which could encourage him to give more effort on the defensive end. So you're sacrificing a couple possessions for hopefully a more engaged player throughout the entire game. And that is totally worth it to the Dallas Mavericks. So we'll see how Jason Kidd implements that. And I think that's going to be really important for this team. I think their best offseason signing was Reggie Bullock coming over from the New York Knicks as a guy who can defend twos and threes and and knock down an open shot to space the floor for Luca. Yeah, I despite that, the Mavericks, one of the teams whose roster has changed less relative to others, especially like most of the teams I've rated higher than I did last year. We'll see a lot more of that in the East um, is because of the improvements they've made, but it's really for one thing I read that intrigued me was this will be Porzingis's first time entering a season without having just rehabbed an injury which should be helpful for him Uh, but really I'm expecting Luca to take over I think last year was a pseudo breakout as like a top top player in the league and this is the year I'm betting on him finishing that breakout and becoming a perennial like top five player in the league you could argue he's already there he was fourth in MVP voting last season so maybe he is already there but still expecting him to elevate and when I talked about 
Iron Man potential. I I can see Luca getting averaging pretty close to a triple double throughout the season. Some or at least like some stupid high combination of points and assists. And yeah, Dallas Mavericks number four off that, despite relatively less depth than some other teams have. All right. In the five spot, I have the Portland Trailblazers. Okay. I've got the Lakers. Our first divergence here. I have the Portland Trailblazers five, um, mostly for continuity here. I believe that their team is going to have some regular season success now that both Dame and CJ are healthy. And I thought they made one of the best moves of the offseason underratedly getting Larry Nance Jr. He's going to fit in so well on this team alongside Nurkic, Covington, uh, and Norman Powell, along with their big two. Just really completes what they're looking for, a wing stopper who can also play off the ball and set screens and roll finish lobs, but also distribute the ball. It's really important. Um, this might be one of the best fit they've had in a four in a while. And so it also gives them more flexibility to run him at the five as a center or run Covington at the five and go smaller or keep him out there with Nurkic and go a little bit bigger. It, it just gives them so much more flexibility Depth wise, I worry a little bit less important in the regular season, but come playoff time, what are they going to get? And they're going to need someone like Ben McElmore or Nasir Little to make that step to finish out the depth of that rotation. But for the regular season, I see the Trailblazers as a middle seed in the Western Conference. Right. I've got the Lakers at number five. I this is a team that I think a lot of people a month ago might have picked at their number one, and some probably still are. Uh, a pretty awful preseason for them. And when you talk about injuries, that that's really uh, a huge concern with the last season they had and just how old their team is. It's not hard to imagine three, four of their top eight depth players being sidelined for a significant amount. Despite that, uh, I think Anthony Davis is just such a valuable player that whatever else goes on around him on that team, he's going to get them enough wins to keep them comfortably in the playoff picture. To be honest, though, my favorite storyline would be if Davis's season ended with an injury earlier and we had the 36, 37-year-old LeBron James leading this like 35 to 38-year-old team to try and make the playoffs. I think that could be really fun. Uh, but I just, I can't bet against LeBron and AD any lower than five. Well, that's what I did. I have them six. <laughs> in my ranking here yeah Russell Westbrook and LeBron James are going to be the engines of this offense for the Lakers and then Davis will be the defensive stalwart it will take this team a while to piece things together with all of the mercenaries essentially that they've hired to come in and play on this team Kendrick Nunn and Malik Monk are going to be critical as the two youngest highest upside guys to go with the big three in Los Angeles if it says anything, 538 gave them a 50% chance to make the playoffs. Wow. So they are low on this team, projected a 42 and 40 record on the season. The worry there, of course, is injury. It's also 
they're going to rest a lot of these guys and treat the entire regular season as just a warm-up phase, a, a ramp-up phase for the playoffs. And so I have them sixth here because I believe they'll do just enough to stay out of the play-in game. But beyond that, they have no desire to, over controlling where they'll finish in the seating as long as they don't have to play that play-in game. No desire and probably not the ability, although you never know with how Westbrook heats up over the season. Uh, yeah, for me, number six, I've got the Clippers and uh, Kawhi out for an indefinite amount of time, but Paul George really impressed me throughout the playoffs, and I do expect him to play his ass off, basically, and do everything he can for this team that will struggle. Um, the depth, not great for them. Um, it, but like Reggie Jackson as well gives me more comfort in picking them, how going to be the second option for them, and they're going to have a lot to figure out. But I think this team should have some swagger, should have some confidence, probably going to be looked at as underdogs, which should give them a chip on their shoulder. So picking them at number six, I don't know if it's a compliment or not, uh, but that's where I've got them. I have the Clippers at seven here, moving along. Uh, a lot of the same reasons. Still a veteran roster, right, with Paul George, Reggie Jackson, Marcus Morris, Nicholas Batum, Ibiza Zubac, Ibaka, if he's healthy. There are the pieces there. Uh, 538, interestingly, gives them the sixth best chance to make the playoffs in the West, but they have the highest chance of making the finals and winning the finals in the Western Conference at 24% and 13% respectively. That is a bet on Kawhi coming back in the playoffs and leading this team to a deep playoff run. They definitely have the ability to do so, as we saw last season. This is going to be a show-me season for the bottom of that roster. They get to learn a little bit more about what they have with the absence of Kawhi. There's a lot of minutes up for grabs, and so you're going to be looking for guys like Terrence Mann, Justice Winslow, Luke Kennard, and then rookies Keon Johnson and BJ Boston to show what they have and try and scoop up of those minutes and be productive for this Clippers team. Number seven for me. Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry coming off being the leading scorer in the league. Um, James Wiseman having gotten his rookie season out of the way, um, having a bit more time to adapt, some excellent draft picks for them with promise. Um, just a healthier team. Clay Thompson going to return at some point. Uh, Jordan Poole in the meanwhile, uh, adequate-ish replacement until then and yeah but really Steph Curry just expecting a similar if not better season from last um, I I think after being bounced in one game from that play-in they're gonna really do their best to give themselves as much of a chance to avoid it as they can picking them at seven I don't have them doing that but I think they'll be right on the edge of that for a good chunk of the season we're flowing really well. I have the Warriors at eight, so I'll add on here. This is a team that, just like last year, if we're looking at similar expectations, then I think they're going to tread water for a lot of the season. And then when Clay comes back deeper, maybe December, maybe January uh, at the latest, he'll have to be slowly reintegrated in this lineup. It's not going to be that nitro fuel that propels them up the standings. 
So they're going to figure out what they have. And similar to the Lakers, I think they're going to do their best to avoid the playing game, but I think they'll be unsuccessful and they'll end up in that spot. And Steph and Clay, with their gravity just instantly ups the ceiling of this team. And the piece that comes next is who's going to be that secondary scoring. Cause that was their biggest problem last year after Steph, Clay and Dre, what are you getting from Jordan Poole, who looks like he may take a step up this year? What are you getting from Andrew Wiggins, Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody, Damian Lee, on and on. Igadala and Bielitsa were good depth forward signings, Otto Porter as well, but they're not necessarily going to provide that scoring that's needed. So who's going to be that secondary scorer on this team that really takes just a breath of pressure? off of Steph Curry and Clay because that's all they'll need to bombs away. Another thing to consider is Wiseman, Kaminga, and Moody, all potential trade options if they decide to make a win-now move as the we're well in the twilight of their big three. So, I, I, I mean, we can speculate that on that all we want and really the possibilities near infinite on who that guy could be and who that person is would affect where we put them. But yeah. Um, the other thing I just, I think we've joked about this a couple of times, but I always think of the trailblazers as the discount warriors with McCollum as the discount Thompson Lillard as the discount Curry, though, though no disrespect to Lillard. He's still a top 10 player in the league. And, um, we joked about Larry Nance being the discount Draymond Green now. So having said that, I, I just couldn't really put the Trailblazers above the Warriors. So I've got them at number eight for my pick. Uh, not a ton to add to what you said. I'm really intrigued to see how Nance Jr. fits onto this team defensively. But um, I, the defense just too much of a hole in this incredibly offensive league for me to comfortably pick them too high. Lillard, a ridiculously clutch player in the fourth quarter, but he's only going to have so many of those moments in him throughout the season. And I, I think past him, they're going to struggle to just make it in those like consistently big moments, which they'll be in a lot of, even if their offense keeps up through the first three quarters. Yeah. All right. Number nine. I have the Memphis Grizzlies yes, sir. at number nine. This might be one of my league pass teams of the season. Really excited for this Memphis Grizzlies team. They have always a deep roster of guys that can play. And I'm excited for Desmond Bain's emergence here in his second year. He's been shooting the lights out in preseason, and he's going to get a starting opportunity now with Grayson Allen out the door. He will be alongside Ja, Slow-Mo, Dylan Brooks, Jaron Jackson Jr. back from injury, and people are saying he's looking really good. He is a big ceiling booster of this team. And then you add in Steven Adams, Tyus Jones, DeAnthony Melton, Xavier Tillman, Brandon Clark, Conchar, uh, and then Jared Culver and Zaire Williams as younger guys with still a ton of upside that could gain better and better spots on this team. So much to be excited about if you're a Memphis Grizzlies fan. I just don't know if they have the top-end talent to really rise up the rankings in terms of regular season. But I think there is a possibility with some injuries. You could see the Grizzlies, who have finished 8th and ninth the previous two years, 
climb into six or five in the Western Conference. They just they play hard and they have a great team every night out there on the court, even if it's not top, top tier and talent. And I think Ja will take another step forward this season. Yeah, they really surprised and impressed me making it through the play-in bracket last year and were incredibly scrappy taking it to the Jazz. And I expect them to build off of that felt pretty comfortable with the nine. So we've got the same nine teams in slightly different orders. I went out a bit on a limb on this 10th pick, but uh, we've been so in sync so far that do you also have the Minnesota Timberwolves? I do. Oh, hey. Wow. Wow. Go ahead. Well, we're definitely in sync with that. Wow. In harmony, the Minnesota Timberwolves, I went outside the box here feels like it's everyone's sleeper. So I don't know if we're that in sync, but Carl Anthony Towns closer and closer to seemingly leaving this team. This is a big year for them to prove it to him that they're committed to winning. Anthony Edwards and now his second year coming off a incredible rookie campaign. D'Angelo Russell will be healthy. Uh, Of course, Malik Beasley is in that rotation. And then some defenders in Jaden McDaniels, Patrick Beverly on this team, Joshua Kogi, they're going to establish some better defense than we've seen in the past. And they're going to score the heck out of the ball because Carol Anthony Towns is an offensive engine and can be a heliocentric player for this team. We love that word. It will be interesting. I think I get them in there just with the scoring, but there are plenty of other options you could take here. Um, I guess I'll shout out the Kings, the Spurs, and the Pelicans in particular as the three teams that kind of got beat out for this. I think just the Zion injury and the weird makeup of this Pelicans roster kept me off of their list. And another yikes year, if that's the way we're going, that we're projecting for New Orleans. Yeah, I I didn't consider the Kings too strongly, which maybe was a mistake as Halliburton really scared me in the couple of raps games I watched against him. Uh, Fox well into his time now. I, I can't, a couple good draft picks or maybe it was just the one. Um, but I, it was between the Spurs, the Pelicans and the Timberwolves for me. And I kind of went the star power of the Timberwolves as strange as it might sound over the Spurs for sure. And then, yeah, the only thing the Pelicans have proven to me through last season was that they have a lot to prove still. And until such time, I'm not going to be comfortable picking them. The Zion injury and the crappy offseason they had just extra icing on the cake to that. Wow, I am kind of shocked how in sync we were on those picks. Yeah. Like you described, <laughs> I did not look at any preview lists. I totally went out and freestyled it. So my intuition pretty close to the betting lines, it sounds like. Yeah, 100%. Last thing I'll throw in here, Sacramento Kings. If they do not make the playoffs this year, they set the record for most consecutive years playoffs missed. Wow. So don't count them out as a team that could make some really weird moves just to make the playoffs. Right. So definitely a team to watch will be on my league pass list in one form or another. Let's go to the East. All right. I really struggled with these picks and I, 
it, it was one of those A beats B, B beats C, and C beats A. So where do you rank them against each other? Type deals a lot. Um, I've got no confidence in these, so let's just get at it. Number one, I've got the Miami Heat. Whoa. We're still doing it? No. Okay, okay. I think we are going to be different on this one. That's fascinating. I'd like to hear your reasoning. Go ahead. Kyle Lowry. Um, I, I think he is going to complete a team that already had all the right pieces, all the right energy, just a, everything Drogic did for them. He'll do better. And Achua, really the only loss they have. Um, they just got better everywhere else. Um, Tucker, another acquisition I'm pretty high on after what he was able to do for the Bucks in the playoffs. Uh, I think a team that's really deep that is going to complement each other. I expect Lowry to help Hero take that huge step forward. Everyone's been waiting on similar to how he was able to help Van Fleet and Siakam. Uh, but I think also a team where you can take out any one piece and it's still almost just as strong of a team. So short of like abysmal injury luck, they'll be able to weather one or two injuries better than most. Uh, so it's a bit of a hedge your bet like on that, but yeah, I'm going with the heat number one. I have the Milwaukee Bucks as my number one team. It's <laughs> yeah. Pretty boring, pretty ordinary. 538 has them with the 99% chance of making the playoffs wow. and the highest odds of winning the NBA title at 22% chance. One in five. That's pretty high. They have the highest full strength weight rating at 1684 and a projected record of 57 and 25. 538 doesn't have any teams projected over 60 wins, which is fascinating because there's always a couple that get there. Um, also projecting the Bucks with the highest projected point differential of 6.1. They've had higher in the past. This is a team that just excels in the regular season. That's what they do. They win games. There's always a worry about complacency with championship teams. But teams, again, to go with a different cliche, take on the personality of their leader. And Giannis is not going to be complacent. And he's going to go out there and put up another historic season as he does every year now. He's a beast. He's unlocked something. He's unstoppable. Uh, the jump shot's looking really smooth this year, which is terrifying. And I think they're going to roll. They lose Tucker, who was a zero offensively. They get DiVincenzo back, who definitely is more than that offensively. And then hopefully we'll plug together the Tucker minutes with Semi Ojale, Rodney Hood, Jordan Nuwara. Uh, in in different regards there so in especially in the regular season Milwaukee's gonna roll yeah I've got them at number two um the main reason I didn't put them at number one is because they won the playoffs in the year they didn't finish first <laughs> and if it ain't broke you don't fix it so I'm expecting them to go similarly to that uh, I, I what did they finish like third last year yeah. Uh, so I've got them one higher. I think their big three having more time together will give them a boost. Um, uh, they've added slightly better three-point shooting with the players you mentioned and George Hill as well. Brooke Lopez getting older every year definitely hurts them a little bit. And I think losing Tucker is 
a big L for them defensively. Uh, but yeah, it's Giannis, the best player in the league, I think, after the playoffs we just watched. You have to say that. And also the kind of player who seems like he's done his best to get even better and has somehow been fueled by winning to do just that. So I am expecting terrifying things, especially in the playoffs. Just uh, I'm not expect. I'm expecting the Heat's kind of dog mentality to. They don't know how to not go at a hundred percent. Whereas I think the Bucks might like keep it at a tight ninety for most of the season. Interesting. I have the Brooklyn Nets at number two. Two of the top seven players in the NBA on this roster. Kevin Durant and James Harden, and then a really deep roster after that. I've already talked about this in the offseason. Brooklyn's done such an amazing job putting together a roster. And I think Patty Mills and Cam Thomas will do well in Kyrie's place, not needing the ball as much and really relying on Harden and KD to do a lot of the, the creation. And then you look down this lineup. LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, Paul Millsap, Javon Carter, DeAndre Bembry, James Johnson, Nicholas Claxton as the bottom half of the roster is really deep. And they're just going to get a lot of wins on nights where one of these guys is going to have a good performance to add to the consistent elite production of their top two players. And I think this team, once again, like last year, won a ton of games with their immense talent, and they're going to do so again this season. 538 actually, a little bit lower than on them than I was, giving them an 89% chance to make the playoffs and a 7% chance to win the NBA Finals. Wow, that second number kind of shockingly low to me, considering they were literally an inch away from making the Eastern Conference Finals. It wouldn't have, I was going to say finals, but they would have had to get through the Hawks, which I think they would have. Anywho, I've got them at number three. Uh, for most of the reasons you listed, the main reason I have them lo- not at number one, which I think is fully achievable, is when I talked about load management, I had this team in mind specifically. I think Harden and KD are going to be really watched for their minutes, which I'm not... S- We'll see with Harden because traditionally he has been a fantastic Ironman and that last year might have just been a one-off. So we'll have to see as the season goes how he's playing, how he's feeling, how confident Nash and the rest of the Nets organization are in giving him the full green light on his minutes. But I, I it really is, uh, I think, the most pressure on the Nets to win the finals this year more than any other team in the league and i'm expecting with that kind of pressure they're gonna have to they're gonna be quite cautious with their minutes in the regular season and uh, they might get punished a bit in the paint because of that if their offense can't or if their two big guys can't totally put out offensively okay where did you have brooklyn three three Yeah. Nice. In my third spot, I have the Philadelphia 76ers. As of right now, it looks like Ben Simmons is going to get in in this regular season. Money talks, and that seems to be where we're headed. And like it or not, no matter what you think of him, he impacts winning in the regular season. 
Playoffs, whole different animal, but that's not what we're projecting here. And he's in line to be, once again, a contender for rookie, er, rookie of the year. LOL meme. That's a Freudian slip. <laughs> <laughs> Defensive player of the year uh, for Ben Simmons because he can guard every position on the floor. He's an incredible perimeter defender. He swallows up guys, and he's really electric in transition, finding open players. In the regular season, that's going to shine, and that's all they care about for now. So they're going to have success there. Of course, Joel Embiid was on track to be in the top two for the MVP conversation, ended up in the top five of the MVP conversation. Of course, always going to have a couple injuries along the way, but he's such an impeccable two-way force that he's going to have a large impact. And then Tobias Harris finding his groove last year for this team. And then you're looking for Tyrese Maxey and Matisse Thiebel and Shake Milton and Furkan Korkmaz and a bunch of those guys to step up. I don't like Andre Drummond as the backup center, but Embiid will get a ton of minutes anyways. And this is a team that, again, similar roster last year. They were the one seed. And I think they're going to do it again. And especially if Simmons plays. So 538, actually really high on them, has them with a 96% chance to make the playoffs and a 10% chance to win the finals, uh, projecting them to have a 53-29 and 29 record and be the second best team in the Eastern Conference. Wow, they like the 76ers' chances to win the finals better than the Nets. That's pretty shocking to hear for me. My guess is there could be a trade in here that they're theorizing. Maybe a Ben Simmons for Damian Lillard or one something like that that would instantly skyrocket their chances. So they're hedging a little on that. Yeah. Uh, for Simmons, I don't think it's money talks for Simmons. So like it, from what I heard, he like understood. Lost like $8 million or something. Yeah, no, but my understanding is he knew that was going to happen when he decided to sit down. And I, I don't know, maybe it's one thing to plan for that and another to realize it's gone and realize yeah. there's more going out the window but i think it's more the future value of if i don't play i can't get traded that uh probably forced the decision for me as we talked about earlier uh i guess i'll give my thoughts on the 76ers more in a bit but they're not my number four team that probably another dark horse make you go wow i got the chicago bulls Yes, that's the face I was expecting. Uh, this, the most exciting team in the offseason with the acquisitions they made, um, even going back to last year's trade deadline, starting with the Vucevic acquisition, building on that with DeRozan, Ball in the offseason, Caruso, a nice depth addition. Uh, they've been fantastic this preseason all those players seem to be really gelling offensively and it's something about this team just excites me and I want to do see them do well so it's a bit of a heart pick uh yeah I've got the Bulls in number four they're probably they're a top three league pass team for me oh definitely for me as well will be fun to watch them score in the four spot for me I have the Atlanta Hawks looking to build off an incredibly successful season last year making it to the Eastern Conference Finals way ahead of their schedule and what they were expecting. 538 has them projected as the three seed in the Eastern Conference with a 51 and 31 record, 92% chance to make the playoffs and a 5% chance of winning the NBA title. 
The Atlanta Hawks have a deep, deep, deep roster full of young talent. Uh, Trey Young, John Collins, Kevin Porter, DeAndre Hunter, or yeah, <laughs> Bogdan Bogdanovich, Clint Capella, Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish, Onyeko Okongwu, Sharif Cooper, Jalen Johnson. And then you've got some more veteran players to complement them in terms of Danilo Garlinari, uh, Solomon Hill, DeLon Wright, Gorgie Jang, and Lou Williams. And I just named off 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 guys. All of those guys are rotation players in the NBA. Yeah. It's so deep, such a deep roster, and they're going to have a ton of regular six-season success because of how deep that roster is. You can lose a couple guys and just plug new guys in. The ceiling of this team is Hunter and Reddish being able to be those wing stoppers that they need to take on a guy like Giannis. And then will Clint Capella be able to handle and beat? Cause he certainly wasn't able to last year, right? You got to go through some big players in the East to have some success. It's a Giannis it's Embiid and Durant. Those are the three main ones. And do the Hawks have the guys to do that? Possibly. I think their offensive upside helps a lot with that, uh, especially with Trey Young's incredible performance. So I'm high on this team to continue to build off of their success. They're hungry and they're loaded. Something about the Hawks just kind of pisses me off. I, I don't know quite what it is beyond Trey Young's flopping. Um, it is more than just that, though. For me, I've got the 76ers at number five. I, I feel like the mojo around this team is just so bad after those playoffs. I really did consider excluding them from the playoff picture. Uh, just the way it is, some ridiculous losing streak to start the season that puts them pretty well out of the race from the get-go really wouldn't shock me. But at the end of the day, I think Joel Embiid is the most unstoppable player in the NBA right now. Just the sheer strength and skill of him. Um, I'm not saying most valuable. I, I think Giannis and Jokic both have advantages over Embiid, but just in pure like one-on-one -on -one score from any position, I'd give Embiid that nod. And we've talked a couple weeks ago about how expecting a really fantastic season from him with maybe a little more playmaking, uh, so really purely, I'm expecting Embiid to plug whatever holes and free fall this team might be experiencing. But as you said, the team that really the roster hasn't changed that much from when they finished first in the regular season last year. Uh, so I'm kind of going, my intuition and my head are battling on this one between them being near the top and then not being in the playoff picture and they balance out somewhere in the middle, right at the number five spot. Interesting. At number five, I have the Miami Heat, which was your number one pick. I took the approach with them more from a Lakers perspective. That's why they've fallen down my rankings. I believe in them as a high upside team. I just think they're going to approach the season similarly to the Lakers with Lowry, with Tucker, with Butler, with Deadman and Morris, some of the older guys on this roster, they're going to need to rest them to avoid injuries, even Bam. 
I'm sure they'll look to rest him. This is a team that is not going to care who they play in the first round as long as they avoid the play-in game because they are going to take a bite out of you. It is going to not be fun to play this team. The other worry I have about Miami is beyond Butler, Lowry, and Bam, they have a lot of guys that do one thing, right? Like Duncan Robinson, Tyler Hero, incredible on offense, below average defenders. And then you got P.J. Tucker, who plays solid defense, zero on offense, right? And what else can they get from guys like Morris and Deadman and Gabe Vincent? Not much after that. Heat culture is going to give them an advantage in the regular season with the endurance and the grit and the hustle. But I just see them falling into the middle of the pack in terms of resting guys and not having that super high upside in terms of elite talent that will help carry them through to a higher seat. I think uh, PJ Tucker actually very similar to the type of player OG Ananobi has been uh, a guy who can hit corner threes, finish at the rim and not a hold else more than that offensively. So I think Lowry being familiar with that play style might be able to at least space the floor with him and, uh, not let him drag the team down too much offensively anyway i i'm just defending that number one pick a little for me this is maybe where it gets a little more at number six definitely a hard pick i've got the toronto raptors uh, above some teams that based on how last year went probably should be higher than them but we we've talked a team with a really high ceiling right if all these players or their starting five, Siakam, Van Fleet, Ananobi, uh, Barnes, and I don't know who, we don't know who that fifth guy is going to be. But if those four play as well as we think they can play, this team can beat anyone. And as Toronto boys, we know how cursed teams out of this city seem to be and just how they blow everything that's easy and then do amazing things in hard spots to give you confidence and then get blown out by the bottom team in the league to just to make it difficult for them for the rest of the season. So I, I have a hard time imagining them at the top, despite me thinking they have that ability. But uh, I think the culture that we've seen build over the past years, I think the confidence, optimism, being able to play back in Toronto again, all that, maybe it really is just a heart pick though. Either way, I'm going with the Raptors at number six. I have the Boston Celtics at number six, and I believe they could be a lot higher on this list. Yeah. This is a team that's a Chris Paul away from being a two seed, in yeah. my opinion. Uh, Tatum and Brown, another year deeper in their development. They're probably two of the top 20 players in the league now. And Tatum has a chance to jump into that top 10, top seven conversation with the tools and the production that he's shown. It just has to be night to night now. And this team picks up Dennis Schroeder on great value, gets rid of the Albatross contract of Kemba Walker. They get Al Horford for it, who looks like he still has some game left in him. And then you've got guys like Josh Richardson. Uh, you've got Robert Williams, Peyton Pritchard, Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, Aaron Neesmith, Juancho Hernan Gomez, Ennis Cantor. Again, a roster with guys that do one thing or the other 
I worry about the starting point guard, and then I worry again about the the forward depth. Hernan Gomez is a good pickup for that, and and maybe some of their young guys can take a step forward. I think this team's going to play great defense. Of course, Market Smart still there as the leader of that defensive unit. They're going to play good defense, uh, but they may struggle at times to score if Jason Tatum's step back bank threes aren't going in. Uh, and so a lot of the season relies on those top two guys, but you can say that for most other teams. And I think Boston has a chance to climb up these rankings a little bit, but I feel comfortable with them at six. For sure. I think I had them first when we did our picks last year. Uh, I've got them seventh this year. And like you said, it's not too hard to imagine them doing much better. I'd say maybe they're a DeAndre Ayton away from being a top two teams. That's what my Celtics fan friend has told me that it's really center where they've struggled. And I think Schroeder and Smart will be able to adequately bring up the ball. But like you said, a lot of that offense will rely on Tatum being in form, which we can't say for certain that yet that that's going to be for 82 games of the season. But uh, a team that's too good not to make the playoffs, despite everything seeming to just not click for them last season Uh, and until that does start clicking again as we saw traces of in their playoff bubble run um i'll keep them low in my estimation and evaluation but yeah this this could be the year if tatum's trend continues he becomes a bona fide top 10 player in the league and uh also jalen brown making his first all-star appearance last year also on the rise, uh, a, a team that can be really, really, really scary if they get the role playing they need at those center and point guard positions. Yeah, I would say Robert Williams can do a lot of things that DeAndre can, Ayton can do, not the same size, but he needs that playmaking point guard to really bring out the most in him. And the Celtics haven't had that now for quite a few years. For sure. So you're uh, number 17. The New York Knicks, uh, a team who outperformed expectations last year as the four seed, uh, once again expected to make the playoffs. 538 has them at a 63% chance to make the playoffs, ranking them as their eighth seed. I'm a little bit higher on them. Tom Thibodeau knows how to get the most defensively out of this team, and there is a lot of continuity there. Randall, Barrett, Toppin, Emmanuel quickly will all take a number, another step as younger players. And I think the ceiling of this team can be boosted by the return and a step forward of Mitchell Robinson, who's a, definitely a guy who has DeAndre Ayton potential in the way that he can protect the rim and grab rebounds and then run the other way. And a guy who didn't show enough last year with injuries and less playing time, but he definitely will have an opportunity this year. I have the Knicks falling down the rankings a little bit because teams seem the Hawks gave a blueprint. Randall did a bit of a Siakam impression uh, as the main guy on this team, but in the regular season, he'll still have that success as being able to shoot and being able to work with his size and he competes on the defensive end. Uh, I just, again, this is a team that's going to grind out wins but when it comes to the playoffs, they're going to struggle to score. And so, yeah, that is essentially why I have them sitting there as a play-in team. Yeah, for me, 
Moving on, I've got the Knicks a little lower, but first at number eight, I've got the team that bounced them in the playoffs, the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, really, Atlanta maybe, Hawks. yeah, I, they definitely have the depth. I'm just, it was so out of nowhere that it all came together. I, I guess you could say a lot of that uh, you could attribute to Nate McMillan's coaching. They, mm-hmm. I think, went 27 and 11 and then had their fantastic playoff run with him as a head coach. Uh, the only thing I can really point a finger to causing them to take a step back is Trey Young probably going to get six, seven, yes. eight points a game less with the uh, changes to the rules and what's considered a foul and what isn't. So we'll see how that affects his production or if he's able to successfully adapt to that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just going with they played a bit above their level. Uh, Young's going to be less effective. And I just don't like this team, so I'm playing them at number eight. All right. Well, you and I flip-flop our four and eight picks here. I have the Chicago Bulls as my eight seed. 548 actually really sorry 538 really low on this team having the bulls at a 38 and 44 record uh that puts them as the 10 seed with a 37 percent chance to make the playoffs they agree with me i'm a hey i'm surprised i'm a tad higher than them but this team again league pass top three for sure going to be really fun to watch them score a ton of points right levine vucevic derozan Lonzo, Caruso, Kobe White, and then Patrick Williams as well in that mix. They're going to score a ton. Where's the defense? Pat Williams is going to be their best defender, and he's a second-year player who's going to be tasked with taking the toughest matchup every night. Lonzo Ball, already mentioned, not necessarily as effective at the point of attack as he is an off-ball defender. So then who becomes your on-ball defender? Levine, that's a lot to ask of your number one scorer. DeRozan hasn't necessarily shown it his entire career. Caruso can be, but then you're taking off one of your scores in replace or putting him on. Vucevic is not a rim protector, never has been. And so I worry about teams being able to score on Chicago just as much as they're able to put up. And that's why I've seen them fall. Derek Jones Jr., Tony Bradley, Elise Johnson have the opportunity to step in and be defensive guys, but then you sacrifice a lot of that scoring. You get those zeros on offense, right? And so it's going to be a balance for this Bulls team as they figure it out. And I imagine we're going to see quite a few 135 to 134 games for them this season. Really looking forward to that. <laughs> I, I really liked it when we were so in sync with our picks and I could just riff off what you said about a team. Now I've had to pause my thoughts and then resume them. So for me at number nine, I've got the New York Knicks to continue what your Siakam and Randall comparison, both players who have won most improved player of the year, had a fantastic season and then kind of choked in the playoffs. Uh, And if you look at the season Siakam had after choking in the playoffs, it was uh, less than remarkable. So I, I'm actually kind of expecting Randall to take a step back from where he was last year, just because that's kind of the trend that follows. Uh, I do really appreciate this team's depth. I, I think they, you can knock a couple players out and they'll still manage to compete and come up. Uh, but yeah, I've got them 
at number nine. Uh, not too strong high on that pick. I, I'm even guessing if I want to put another team in the playoffs over them, uh, I can definitely see them falling out, but I'll leave them at number nine for now. With my number nine selection, I have the Indiana Pacers. 538 has them projected as the seven seed in the Eastern Conference with a 67% chance of making the playoffs. It's a really solid roster that honestly just slides down boards for people due to the uninspiring collection of players that they have, but they're all really solid, right? Malcolm Brogdon, Sabonis, Karis Levert as the addition that we'll finally get to see play. Miles Turner in the defensive player of the year conversation, at least TJ Warren, who didn't play last year, but illuminated himself in the bubble with just a scintillating performance of scoring was dropping 50 burgers on folks. Uh, he'll be back this year. And then Justin holiday as well. They have a really solid top six gets a little fuzzy after that, but they can definitely fill it in with, with solid guys and, I'm excited to watch Canadian rookie Chris Duarte also go in there. He's going to plug right in as the oldest first-round pick in this year's draft and has that experience and mature talent to step in there and help this team win. And Indiana is another team that I could see jumping higher, just, again, uninspiring. Uh, and, and so that's why I have them sitting there as the nine seed. Yeah. They're probably the team I'm going to regret not picking in my top 10 because I do think they have a quite strong team and I, I almost want to swap out the Knicks for them. Um, <laughs> maybe I just should now, I don't know. But for me, the team I have picked at number 10 is the Washington Wizards. Uh, I love the Westbrook trade. Um, I think getting Kuzma, KCP, and Harrell for Westbrook is really mm -hmm. fantastic for them. And uh, I was Dinwiddie part of that trade as well, or did they get him some other way? Free agent signing. Okay. Uh, yeah, that another huge, I, or I think that's gonna, you can't replace Russell Westbrook, but I would rather have Dinwiddie, Kuzma, Harrell, and Pope than one Russell Westbrook. Uh, so hopefully a bit more of a consistent season for them. Um, obviously the stakes kind of are Bradley Beal. So it's going to be tough for them. The, this, as we've said, like one through 13 are all have playoff, varying playoff chances. And the, that like race from seven through 13 is going to be brutal, I think. And hopefully really close for entertainment's sake, but I, I'm going with Washington for the last team that's going to squeak in. I also have the Wizards here at number 10. Uh, so close believe in the Raptors. Uh, I, I, I knew you'd notice there. I'll get to Washington first. They have a bunch of guys that can play, right? Bradley Beal, of course, is going to carry this team in a Steph Curry, Damian Lillard fashion where he's going to score a ton and be hugely gravitational on offense. But then you've got Kyle Kuzma, Thomas Bryant, Spencer Dinwiddie, Denny Avdia, Corey Kispert, Daniel Gafford, Rui Hachimura, KCP, Aaron Holiday, Davis Bertans, Montrezl Harrell. All those guys can play, right? They're all NBA players. And that is something that Washington did not have the last two seasons. And that's why they felt it was Bradley Beal and right? 
but they now have guys who are actually respectable and can take up NBA minutes on the court. And you're not throwing Garrison Matthews out as your starting shooting guard. (laughs) Exactly. Right. So this is a team that 538 has with a 33% chance to make the playoffs, the same record as the bulls here. Um, But they are projected as a, five win better team than the next closest team in Charlotte uh, who I have hanging around that bubble as well with Toronto and uh, yeah, to move off of Washington now with my, that was my 10th and final selection. I, I have four league pass teams in addition to, of course, the home Raptors as my fifth team to watch the four, of course, Memphis. Then we have the bulls. And then the last two here, Charlotte and Cleveland, don't think they're going to have successful seasons. I think Charlotte's going to regress a little bit and I'm betting against Gordon Hayward's health. Um, he, he, when he was healthy, they were good when he wasn't, they plummeted. Uh, and I just don't think they have enough yet. They're going to be lob city though, with Kai Jones and bridges and <laughs> Ubri and McDaniels and PJ Washington, a uh, lot of lobs from LaMelo this season, which will be fun, but uh, them. And then the Cavs, of course, with, the all under two, 22 starting lineup potential, Sexton, Garland, Okoro, uh, Mobley, Jared Allen is a really fun starting five. So definitely those are on the t- the league pass list. But the Raptors, again, like the Leafs, I did a bit of emotional hedging here. I'll talk, we'll talk about them a ton as the season goes along. But my philosophy here was this is going to be a middling team. Last year, I was too high on them. And even though they're back in Toronto, you have to reevaluate this roster and take away the bias a little bit and see, yes, we love all these guys and we picture them as something great, but in the NBA landscape, will they be able to provide what we expect night after night? And I don't think it's there yet from this team. They have a lot of potential and a lot of great pieces to be a playoff team. I don't know if they'll come together this year. A lot of things to figure out. And I'm betting on the fact that Masai is going to know that. And as a team that's driven on analytics to a certain extent, they're going to look to dive down the standings as opposed to just go for the moral victory of being the eighth seed that might lose in the playing game. I think they're not in on the playing game. We saw it last year when they tanked and I could see it happening again, selling off pieces like Dragic, maybe like a Boucher, maybe even a Siakam and continuing to rebuild around Scotty Barnes, OG, and Fred. Um, So a little bit of emotional hedging for me, but doesn't mean I'm not going to stop watching each and every game that the Raptors play this season. Wow. Yeah. For me, Cleveland was the team. I really wanted to find a way to slot into one of those picks, but... They're going to be bad. (laughs) Yeah. It's a very intriguing team, but definitely not there yet. Uh, yeah, we'll have plenty to comment on the Raptors. Uh, I, I think last minute I am going to lock in the Pacers at number nine and take the Knicks out of my playoff picks. Um, yeah, that's the Pacers I like as a team better than the Knicks. I, I know that doesn't really make sense to not knock the Wizards to nine and put the Pacers at 10, but that's what we're doing. So there we go. Those are the teams that are going to be top 10. Oh, no, we know what teams are going to be top 10 in the West. 
as a definite fact. It's a little hazy in the East, but you should have a pretty good idea from this. Whew. I knew it was going to be long and we collect and we can fire really quickly through these next section finals pick for me. I have the nets and the Suns meeting in the NBA finals. Max. Oof. Uh, let's go Clippers bucks. Clippers bucks. Interesting. Almost happened. Almost yeah. happened last year. Those are two excellent picks. We'll move into awards here. The MVP top by odds. We have Luca Giannis Embiid, KD Curry, Lillard, Jokic, James, as in LeBron James, and then James, as in James Harden, are the top uh, nine names there. Max, who you got MVP? Between Giannis and Luca for me, I'm going to go Giannis just as a more proven quantity. I also went with Giannis. Uh, voter fatigue, of course, last year, but now as an NBA champion, if he puts up more historic numbers again this year, people are going to come back around with all of the popularity that he's received and getting a year off of the MVP. Maybe should have won it last year. He had an argument. The drive, right, is going to be back again. And all the other guys have arguments against them, whereas I don't think you can find any for Giannis. For sure. Rookie of the year here. Uh, I will go again with the top nine names. Cade Cunningham, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs, Evan Mobley, Scotty Barnes, Alperin Shengun, Davion Mitchell, James Booknight, and Chris Duarte. Max, who do you have as Rookie of the Year? I have no idea. I, most of what I saw had a coin toss between Cunningham and Green. I like Green for that over Cunningham just because I think being on the Rockets are a team that will give him slightly more tools to succeed than the Pistons, but uh, I I really don't know on this one. This, this is tough. It feels to me almost like a LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards situation. You're going to have this explosive score in Jalen Green and then a Kate Cunningham that's going to play a little bit more systematic ball and, and do a little bit more of the other things like LaMelo did, and then he's going to have a couple big highlights of passing or uh, something fun and spectacular. I went with Cade Cunningham here. I went against Green because he's going to have to share the ball with other scorers on Houston. Uh, Jalen Suggs is just not going to get enough media attention playing in Orlando. Evan Mobley, too much of a defensive-based guy. Same with Scotty Barnes to really attract Rookie of the Year votes. Uh, Alperin Shengun going to share the floor with Green, so not there. Davion Mitchell is going to struggle to get guard time behind Heald, Fox, and Halliburton. James Booknight, again, not enough success or play time in Charlotte. And then Chris Duarte, I think, is a dark horse there to be really successful on an Indiana Pacers team that could rise the rankings in the East. The problem is they're not going to get that national media attention, and I think all eyes are going to be on Cade Cunningham. That's why he's the favorite, but I'm going to pick him. Fair enough. Defensive player of the year. Um, Top nine names are as follows. Rudy Gobert, Ben Simmons, Miles Turner, Anthony Davis, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Bam Adebayo, Drew Holiday, and Matisse Thybul. Who took it last year? It was Rudy Gobert. Okay. Uh, again, not a pick I really care too hard for. I'm going to say 
Paul George. Paul George. Yeah. Care to elaborate? The Clippers are really going to need it. He's going to need to step up there and guard the best player night in, night out for the Clippers. And if he can do that, then, uh, and like that's the difference that uh, keeps the Clippers in a top six position as I have them picked, then um, I think he'll have a strong argument. Okay. (laughs) Interesting. Thing. It's definitely a possibility if the Clippers have a really good season, right? And he's their leading two-way presence. I just think he's going to have to score too much that his defense is going to take a hit. Yeah, well, it really will depend how uh, Ty Lue wants to run it. But I, I'm just thinking about the playoffs they had where, like, when it was time, Kawhi stepped up and it was his defense that brought this team past with no Kawhi. George is going to have to be that guy. And uh, I think he has the build, the athleticism, the skills to do it. Um, it's definitely a dark horse for fun pick though. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, no go bear. I think he is exempt from winning defensive player of the year now until the jazz have more playoff success. He has three. Or he figures and- out how to do perimeter defense. It's just not not gonna happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ben Simmons depends. I just I worry about the negativity towards him may affect his play. Miles Turner, of course, is in there, but I'm going with Anthony Davis. He's going to play more center this year, and he is going to again. I picked him last year. And I'm picking him again because he needs to be the defensive player of the year in order for the Lakers to just make the middle of the pack in the Western Conference. They're going to get a ton of national media attention. As long as he's healthy, he should be right there in that conversation. And with a little Laker LeBron love, he'll get enough votes to win it. It is. There does seem to be a bias towards bigs for this award. Um, Gobert, Giannis taking a lot of the last few. Kawhi is the last wing I can think of who won it. Uh, Or Draymond, I guess, if you want to call him a wing. Yeah, yeah, he kind of occupies the <laughs> space between a big and a wing. Uh, yeah, that's that's a really tough one to predict. A really fun dark horse piss, pick, piss, pick as well uh, here. If Ben Simmons does not play or is traded, Matisse Thibel yeah. is so, so fun to watch play defense. He makes just pure instinctual plays and is really really disruptive and i could see him jumping up and stealing quite a few votes again if ben simmons isn't that lead guy which he will probably end up being we end off here oh i was gonna say you should be able to predict my coach of the year all right here we go we end off coach of the year uh by ranking steve nash eric spolstra billy donovan Quinn Snyder, Steve Kerr, Monty Williams, and Frank Vogel. You you know who I've got, eh? I'm going to go with Eric Spolstra. Yeah. Because you have the Miami Heat number one. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, he's been around for a very long time now. Him and Popovich have been the coaches for the longest amount of time, I believe, uh, in their respective conferences. I'm going once again with Monty Williams, same pick as last year, thought he deserved it last year, got beat out by Tom Thibodeau. Uh, but 
he didn't get it last year. So the Suns are going to go ahead, win the Western Conference this year, and he's going to claim what was rightfully his last year. There's a like coach of the year, man. There's some great value in there because it is all over the place in terms of predictions and teams that could jump up. Um, I think Rick Carlisle has a great chance with Indiana if they have a good season. It's always going to be a middling team that exceeds expectations. Nate McMillan could be there for Atlanta. Of course, if Brooklyn just runs away with things or if Milwaukee runs away with things, then Budenholzer and Nash are up there for sure. Uh, again, Warriors, if they jump up, Steve Kerr could be right in there. And then, of course, Billy Donovan's a hot pick right now because everyone has Chicago jumping up leaderboards. I just worry about things. I've already expressed my Chicago hesitation. Wow. So that is it. We have reached the conclusion of our NBA season preview. It's been fun, but I'm happy to take a year before doing that again. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Okay, let's regroup and we'll just take a couple minutes here, a couple quick minutes here to walk through some NHL, some talking hockey. Max, I'll toss it over to you. For sure. A um, couple notes before we get into Leaf Central. Um, all teams, either two or three games played, every team that has played three games has had at least an overtime, if not regulation loss. Uh, so far, the teams who have played two games and have yet to lose are the Florida Panthers, Carolina Hurricanes, no big surprise there, Edmonton Oilers, likewise, Minnesota Wild, uh, not too shocking for Owen, the Buffalo Sabres, though, being 2-0, and a little out of left field, um, two games, far too early to say anything, but um, one of those two wins, a 5-1 to one blowout over the Montreal Canadiens, who are, I think, a league worst 0-3 to start their season the, with a 3-1 to one loss coming to the New York Rangers in their home opener after losing their first game to the Leafs, which I think... I didn't track the Rangers game, but unless they got the first goal in that, I think uh, being against the Leafs, the only time they've led thus far in the regular season, uh, like I said, two games far, far, far too early to say anything. Three, really not any better, but already feeling pretty comfortable in picking the Habs to not make the playoffs. Uh, I guess another note, the Ottawa Senators might be a team of the now, not the future. Um, we're kind of segueing into our Leafs talk here, but with the Brady Kachuk signing coming together kind of out of nowhere, um, their goaltending from Forsberg being far better than it had any right to be. Uh, and they seem to have picked up a couple more great rookies. Uh, I can't remember the name of that speedy guy, but God damn, he was fast. Um, this is a really young team that seems to have all the pieces. Uh, just watching the Leafs game against them, I wanted to make note, like I, I thought this team was still a couple years off from their success and they're going to be terrifying in two years, but they're shaping up to be kind of scary right now. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Batherson, Formanton, Zub, Stutzla, Brady Kachuk, Josh Norris, 
the Sens are building a solid young roster that is frisky. They showed it last year under DJ Smith, and they're showing it once again early this season. They're a team that doesn't back down. They're going to have worse nights. It's tough to judge too much of their play against the Leafs because there is never a normal game between the two teams. So that's maybe not the greatest measuring stick for Ottawa. Uh, but if there's one thing that this team's going to do, it's going to work hard and the results are going to show and they're going to be right in that mix for the wild card. All right. With that, we can move on to our Toronto Maple Leafs who are two and one to start the season, splitting two games with the Sens and having a win in their season home opener against the Habs, which was very gratifying. Uh, yeah, and through I, I didn't get to catch their win over Ottawa. Uh, I just saw the first two games. But uh, for the most part, I like what I'm seeing early from this team. The Jack Campbell has had as good of a start as we could have asked for. Um, give, average, having like a one goals against average through two games and not letting any goals in when he had to come in to that third period in relief of Mrazek, who... I thought had a really unfortunate game first period against the Sens where the first two goals both coming on bounces, which I really don't fault goalies for often. And uh, that third goal coming in at 0.6, I, coming off a Leafs turnover, uh, hard. I do think some goalies would have been able to read that pass and get there, um, but he really made up for it in the second. I think he stopped like three really solid scoring chances from the Sens. So I like the goaltending. Uh, I don't know where they found Camp and Kase, but I love everything I've seen from them. Just the exact type of players you want in your third, fourth line. Speedy, tough, able to kill penalties, uh, but forecheck well. I love the depth. Uh, speaking of depth, Jason Spezza is still just such an awesome guy to have on the Leaf. I, th I think someone said like he might be the best value player in the NHL right now at a $1 million contract. This guy. Still I would so still argue Nathan McKinnon. <laughs> wow. That's uh, got to be a lot more value for the relative like 10 times more he's making. But the face-off success, um, the means he's going to be useful in your defensive end and his shooting means you're happy to put him on the face off in the offensive end because he's still useful i loved his power play goal for the leafs because he just kept shooting the puck um, because it was the right thing to do the passing lanes weren't there he saw a lane i think he took three four shots before one went in but it's just such a nice strong confidence start uh picking up right where he left off in the playoffs he had like three goals against the habs um <clears throat> william nylander also picking up right where he left off did he score in the third game or just no did he did set up a goal though okay so a point three game point streak thus far uh our most valuable offensive player through three games for sure. I'd love to see that continuing. And special teams is where the last piece of good news, a really fantastic penalty kill against Montreal. They give up one against Ottawa early, but then keep it tight for the rest of the game. And they've gotten a couple power play goals early. So hopefully the monkey's off the back and it's not a narrative 
Uh, we have they have like dragging on their spirits right from the get go. Their lack of power play success. Um, there's really only one narrative that's going to be dragging on this team, and that is the offensive production of Mitch Marner. Not for a lack of trying uh, against the Habs, the first offensive chance we had was him rifling one just a couple inches wide of top cheese. Uh, he, he's not getting those perfect slot one timers, but the next best thing, just the puck in front of the net, and it's not going so far. I'm worried if, unless he scored in uh, the last game. So this is perfect. I watched all of the third game ah. uh, while you caught the first two, and him and John Tavares, you said five B-plus scoring chances. They had five B-plus and three A-plus scoring chances. Marner had two looks at an empty net late in that game and got basically diving blocked twice by Sens players. They are snake-bitten is the term that was used on the broadcast. Just cannot buy one right now. Really, really tough, but the results are going to come, and – from what I've seen from this second line right now, I am so excited for when Austin returns. Michael Bunting getting his first goal as a Leaf. Um, he's a dark horse in the Calder conversation. And with the way he plays so tough, he plays with a ton of energy. Leafs fans already falling in love with him. If he's slotted next to Nylander and Tavares on that second line while Mitch plays with Austin and Nick Ritchie on the first line, this is a really fun, dangerous team. And that second line was buzzing around uh, with two goals on the night, Kerfoot and Bunting scoring there. The power play didn't look so hot in the third game. They had a five on three opportunity where they took a timeout to even talk it through. Couldn't score on that. So that's still going to be something that hangs over. Uh, they've made an adjustment to have Mitch in the middle of this power play for now. Maybe a switch when Austin comes back. Don't know if that's the best spot for him uh, with the way that he's able to work around the sides and find incredible cross seam passes. I just don't know if he's the best in the middle there. I think they want to get him some like scoring looks though, because he had no power play goals last season. Then have him hit clap bombs or like, they can do the the pew pew setup or the bam bam setup, right? The either the one timers or have them come in and snipe. It's I don't know if putting him in different spots can change it. It's more about a mindset of him attacking. And he had opportunities in that third game where he attacked the net and one beautiful setup Tavares gets absolutely robbed by Forsberg. But it's not for a lack of trying. You can tell he's breaking sticks on the bench. He's swearing he's looking skyward and letting the world have it he wants this he's just as upset as everyone else if not more because he knows what he's capable of just has and to come he just has to get the monkey out. off his back I, I really were three games and i i think nylander had like a seven eight game bad stretch when the press really jumped on him uh, with how the playoffs went last year i i think it'll take less than that uh, if Mitch doesn't score in the next two games, I think it's going to become a huge narrative. So I really hope the first period against the Rangers, that just. That's what comes with it, right? He makes money where you can't have off nights. Yeah. Yeah. At, at least Tavares. Uh, I think the defense I'm really liking, he was fantastic in the face-off circle the first two games. 
Uh, so he's giving you other things, but for Mitch, it's really, especially with Matthews gone, he, he's got to. This is going to be a great face-off team with Matthews, with Tavares, Nylander sliding in at times, Kerfoot sliding in, and then Kampf and Spezza. It's a great face-off team. That's really important. Yeah, love that. Yeah, I'm, I'm optimistic. I, I like what I've seen so far. Yeah. Quick shout out to Alex Bishop, the goaltender for the University of Toronto Blues, was the backup for the Leafs on Saturday night as they were unable to call up Michael Hutchinson on an emergency basis because they had to use that spot for Timothy Liljegren to get his first start of the season in place of the sick Justin Hall. Um, so that was stressful times for Leafs fans, but Hutchinson will be the backup on Monday as Peter Morazic has entered uh, the IL um, to heal on that groin, which demons hanging out in the back here. We're just going to ignore them for now. <laughs> yeah. uh, one more shout out. Um, Sandine had a fantastic play. I can't remember who he gave the look to, but on the power play, uh, it might've been Bunting or maybe it was even Marner, but uh, where he picked it up, skated in, faked the shot. And I think it was Marner put it right on Mar his tape. Uh, looking really comfortable as a proper NHLer and hope to see Lilligren follow suit shortly. Yeah, that's uh, all the hockey I got to talk for now. I don't know about you. Uh, pretty much it for me. Braves play the Dodgers game two tonight, Atlanta up one nothing, and the Astros Red Sox series is 1-1 apiece. But besides that, it's going to do it for this one. Catch us on Thursday as we'll be diving in right on the pulse of sports happening uh, with more interest, with more depth. We're getting back into it. It's been a while, but a little shorter pods, but more content for you coming. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Max? It uh, might drop Friday, not Thursday, but Sports Next Door signing out.